Now I'd like to read from our scriptures. This is John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. This morning we have a guest speaker to share God's word with us. It's uh, my privilege to introduce Rochelle Lindaker Schlabach, who directs the Mennonite Central Committee, United States Washington office. She leads workshops and speaks and writes on policy towards the Middle East uh, and often meets with congressional offices to bring a Mennonite Central Committee perspective to public policy. Rochelle is uh, holds a Master of Divinity and uh, lives here in town together with her husband Keith, and they attend and participate in Peace Fellowship Church right here in D.C. Uh, it's our privilege to have her share God's word with us. Let's just welcome her now. Good morning. It's my honor to be with you this morning to share the word. I must say that when your pastor Andrew invited me to speak, it was several months ago, and I certainly did not envision it would be by video. And when we talked about a scripture passage to focus on, I had no idea that the gospel text from the lectionary, which you just heard read, would be so appropriate. The disciples were locked in a room filled with fear and disbelief. Other than the fact that the disciples were clearly not doing a very good job of social distancing, any of that sound familiar? How did things change so much in such a short period of time? How did life change so much in such a short period of time? It was just a few days ago that the disciples had seen their world come crashing down. All of their hopes, all of their expectations, all of their dreams that they had wrapped up in Jesus 
had been nailed to a cross. It doesn't get any more final than that. They had given up everything, in some cases sacrificed relationships with family and friends to follow this man. And then it all came crashing down. Of course, with our vantage point 2,000 years later, we like to rush ahead to Easter morning, and we rightly celebrated Jesus' resurrection last Sunday. It is indeed the high point of the Christian year, even if this year we had to celebrate a little bit differently. But we have to remember that for Jesus' followers, the path from Good Friday to that first Easter evening wasn't quite so clear and linear. That morning, some of the disciples had seen the empty tomb for themselves. Jesus had even appeared in person to Mary, who then went and told the disciples about it. There were signs of resurrection around them. But they didn't go out and immediately start proclaiming boldly that Jesus had risen. No, what they did was all too human. They hid. They went in a room and locked the door. They locked the doors, the text says, for fear of the Jews, or some translations say for fear of the Jewish authorities. And I want to pause just a moment here because texts like this have unfortunately led to too much Christian anti-Semitism over the years. Remember, everyone in the room was a Jew. What is clearly meant here was a specific group of leaders, the authorities who had persecuted Jesus, and now the disciples were afraid that they'd be looking for them, too. I'm guessing that for many of us, these past few weeks or months have felt like a similar roller coaster ride. Our lives were humming along, and then suddenly they were disrupted in a major way. If you had asked me six months ago if I could imagine a scenario in which most businesses would be ordered to shut down, millions of people would lose their jobs in a matter of weeks, people would be required to stay at home, and thousands of Americans would be dead as a result of a pandemic, I would have said, no way, I can't even imagine it. And now, that's exactly where we are. Many of our dreams, things that we've worked on for years, have come crashing down around us. And our response, often it's the all-too-human one, to give in to fear, to lock our doors for fear of the coronavirus. And I don't mean literally, of course, we're being asked to stay home. That's sound medical advice, and I'm not questioning it at all. What I'm talking about is the attitude in our hearts It's all too easy, even when there are signs of resurrection around us, to lock our doors, our hearts, in fear. After all, we have no idea what the future holds. And if we're honest, that's actually always true. But right now, the reality of it seems to hit even harder. Any plans we may have made are now up in the air. Weddings, graduations, trips. What will our financial situation be? Will I have a job? Will our loved ones still be with us? In the face of huge, daunting questions like these, it's all too easy to give in to fear, to keep the doors locked. 
But into that very situation, into the room full of scared disciples, still trying to make sense of everything that had just happened, into that state of fear and confusion is exactly the place where Jesus appears. Now, I'm not actually sure if I was in a room with the door locked and someone appeared that I would find that reassuring, but that's for another day. Jesus immediately makes clear who he is, and he speaks the words that we hear throughout Scripture when believers are afraid. Peace be with you. And then he proceeds to show them his hands and his side, Luke's version of the story, which we heard from the children's time, tells us that the disciples thought maybe Jesus was a ghost. Jesus immediately seeks to dispel those fears. Look at me. See these tangible, concrete signs that I'm exactly who I say I am. And because of that, you don't need to be afraid. The organization that I work for, Mennonite Central Committee, has been working to meet basic human needs for a hundred years now. We work here in the United States with immigrants, with people returning from prison, and with some of the poorest communities in Appalachia. And we work around the world in about 55 countries, supporting clean water projects, health, education, and peace. And this pandemic is making clear that while all of us are suffering in some way, the most vulnerable are being hit the hardest. An MCC staff person in South Texas, Ana Alicia Hinojosa, wrote this several weeks ago. The fear and uncertainty that we are experiencing today in the U.S. parallels what immigrants deal with all their lives. Fear, uncertainty, and panic. The early days of this pandemic are hard for almost everyone in the U.S. and devastating for those who have lost loved ones. But imagine how things will continue to get worse for the tens of thousands of immigrants that live in the U.S. today. She talks first about the people seeking asylum or safety at the U.S.-Mexico border. Imagine being stuck, she says, living by the Rio Grande River along the U.S.-Mexico border, awaiting court hearings while living in inhumane conditions with your children. You fear the pandemic. You also fear going back to the violence at home. And then she talks a bit about the reality facing undocumented immigrants here in the U.S., Undocumented people, if they're lucky enough to still have a job, more than likely have one that's essential work. But out of fear of being stopped by law enforcement, many undocumented people are choosing to stay home. The risk is too great. The fear is too much. If they're stopped by law enforcement and not able to produce the documents they're asked for, they risk arrest, detention, and deportation. Families are living in fear and stuck in their homes. Going a bit further from home, imagine being in a crowded refugee camp or in one of the densely populated poor neighborhoods and cities all around this world. In those kinds of living situations, it is impossible to physically distance from other people. It's hard to find clean water and soap. Medical care is a luxury. And there is no government safety net stepping in to provide resources or economic stimulus. If your family's going to eat, you have to go out and work. 
Even before this pandemic hit, there were historic levels of people displaced from their homes, nearly 71 million people around the world, many of them from places like Syria, Afghanistan, and South Sudan. As COVID-19 spreads into places like these, the results will be devastating. Mennonite Central Committee partners with local communities to try to address these concerns and to focus on prevention, including the need for food and clean water. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, MCC works with the Church of Christ in Congo to provide health care and food to people who've had to flee their homes due to violence and are now living in crowded camps. It is into these crowded camps, into the chaos of our world, into the disciples' crushed dreams and fears, these kinds of situations that Jesus comes and says, Peace be with you, for I am with you. And then we're told Jesus breathes life into them. Instead of fear, experience peace. Instead of despair, Jesus says, experience peace. In the very midst of grief and loss for our nation and our world, take a deep breath of God's peace. Inhale deep breaths of peace. Exhale the fear. Let's take a moment and just take time to breathe deeply in and out. Breathe in God's peace. Breathe out anxiety, fear, despair. And then, as if to put an exclamation point on it, the scene repeats itself exactly one week later. It turns out that Thomas hadn't been there the week before. We don't know why. But now it's his turn to doubt. Or actually, the word's even stronger. It's disbelieve. He wasn't just doubting Thomas. He was disbelieving Thomas. Have you ever found yourself in that place? You know the right words to say, but in your heart, you don't honestly believe God's going to change things. In a conversation with someone a few months ago, they said they can't even read the passages in the Bible that talk about the lame being healed and the blind seeing because that is not the reality he sees around him, full of people who are suffering. I suspect he was simply naming the doubt, disbelief that we all harbor, at least sometimes. If God is so powerful, why are we going through these things? And again, a second time, Jesus comes into the midst of that, into our doubts and unbelief, not with judgment or with shame, but with grace. He gave the disciples on that first Sunday what they needed, and now he gives Thomas on the second Sunday exactly what he needs, to see him, to see his hands, and know that everything is going to be okay. There's no need to feel ashamed for doubting God or questioning where God has been. You might be experiencing unbelief now, but God draws near us, offering grace and peace. And how does Thomas respond? He proclaims, my Lord and my God. A statement that one commentator said was one of the clearest and most powerful confessions of Jesus' divinity in the entire New Testament. 
Out of the doubt and unbelief comes a powerful confession of belief, something for which poor doubting Thomas doesn't usually get credit. As we wrap up, I need to go back to one part that I skipped over. You see, Jesus met the disciples where they were. He brought peace to a room filled with fear and confusion. But he doesn't stop there. He commissions the disciples to go out. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You don't get to just stay locked in fear forever. You've been given the gift of peace, the gift of God's spirit, and now you're able to carry out God's mission in this world, whatever that might look like in this time and place. Of course, the book of Acts tells us what the disciples started doing and how they spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And church tradition tells us that Thomas was the founder of the church in Syria and in India. Out of this locked room came people who proclaimed the gospel far away. You know, at some point, and none of us knows exactly when, the crisis in front of us will ease. And the challenge will be, once this pandemic goes from being mostly in the, no in the global north to mostly in the global south, once we've started to reopen businesses and get sports back on TV, and trust me, I'm a big sports fan, I want that to happen. But once all of those things happen, are we as Christians in the global north going to insist that the same level of dedication, of resources, of sacrifices happen to ensure that people get the help they need, regardless of whether they live in Washington, D.C. or New York City, or Rio de Janeiro, or Joss, Nigeria, or Gaza. You know that we're still in the midst of crisis here, in many cases still in fear and despair. But how will we respond? Who will we be when the crisis in front of us eases and moves to communities around the world much less equipped than our own to deal with it? Will we respond with generosity to those who are most vulnerable, Will we call for justice and stubbornly insist that everyone, everywhere, regardless of color or religion or nationality, has the same right to life, to clean water, to health care, to life-saving vaccines? What is it that we are being sent to do? Who is it that you are being called to be in this moment and in the days and weeks to come? What is it that is beyond your locked door. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbly. We confess that even when we see signs of resurrection around us, it's often easier to hide behind closed doors and to give in to fear and anxiety. But we also know that you come to us in those very moments bringing not judgment, but grace, bringing us peace and the breath of new life through your spirit. Thank you, God. And I pray that you would help each one of us to listen to your voice, to know what it is that you would have us do in this time and place, in this very particular set of circumstances that we are in. Help us to open our hands in generosity and to use our voices on behalf of those who are forgotten. Teach us, lead us, 
breathe courage and life into us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.